Chapter Four of the Mesmerist Victim by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An aerial journey. More fortunate than Andrea, Gilbert had, in lieu of an ordinary practitioner, a light of medical science to attend to his ails. The eminent Doctor Jussieu, a friend of Rousseau's, though allied to the court, happened to call in the nick to be of service. He promised that the young man would be on his legs in a week. Moreover, being a botanist like Rousseau, he proposed that on the coming Sunday they should give the youth a walk with them in the country, out Marley Way. Gilbert might rest while they gathered the curious plants. With this prospect to entice him, the invalid returned rapidly to health. But while Rousseau believed that his ward was well, and his wife Teresa told the gossips that it was due to the skill of the celebrated Dr. Jussieu, Gilbert was running the worst danger ever befalling his obstinacy and perpetual dreaming. Gilbert was the son of a farmer on the land of Baron Tavernay. The master had dissipated his revenue and sold his principal to play the rake in Paris. When he returned to bring up his son and daughter in poverty in the dilapidated manor-house, Gilbert was a hanger-on who fell in love with Nicole as a stepping-stone to becoming infatuated with her mistress. As at the fireworks, the youth never thought of anything but this mad love. From the attic of Rousseau's house he could look down on the garden where the summer-house stood, in which Andrea was also in convalescence. He did not see her. Only Nicole carrying broth as for the invalid. The back of the little house came to the yard of Rousseau's in another street. In this little garden old Tavernet trotted about, taking snuff greedily as if to rouse his wits. That was all Gilbert saw. But it was enough to judge that a patient was indoors, not a dead woman. Behind that screen in the room, he mused, is the woman whom I love to idolatry. She has but to appear to thrill my every limb, for she holds my existence in her hand, and I breathe but for us two. Merged in his contemplation, he did not perceive that in another window of an adjoining house in his street, Plastrier Street, a young woman in the widow's weeds was also watching the dwelling of the Tavernays. This second spy knew Gilbert, too, but she took care not to show herself when he leaned out of the casement as to throw himself on the ground. He would have recognized her as Chon, the sister of Jean, Countess du Berry, the favorite of the king. "'Oh, how happy they are who can walk about in that garden!' raved the mad lover with furious envy, for they could hear Andrea, and perhaps see her in her rooms. At night one would not be seen while peeping. It is far from desire to execution, but fervid imaginations bring extremes together. They have the means. They find reality amid fancies. They bridge streams and put up a ladder against a mountain. To go around by the street would be no use, even if Rousseau had not locked in his pet, for the Tavernays lived in the rear house. With these natural tools, hands and feet, reasoned Gilbert, I can scramble over the shingles, and by following the gutter, which is rather narrow but straight, consequently the shortest path from one point to another, I will reach the skylight next my own. That lights the stairs, so that I can get out. Should I fall, they will pick me up, smashed at her feet, and they will recognize me, so that my death will be fine. 
noble, romantic, superb. But if I get in on the stairs, I can go down to the window over the yard and jump down a dozen feet where the trellis will help me to get into her garden. But if that worm-eaten wood should break and tumble me on the ground, that would not be poetic, but shameful to think of. The baron will say I came to steal the fruit, and he will have his man Labrie lug me out by the ear. No, I will twist these clotheslines into a rope to let me down straight, and I will make the attempt to-night. From his window at dark, Gilbert was scanning the enemy's grounds as he qualified Tavernay's house-lot, when he spied a stone coming over the garden wall and slapping up against the house-wall. But though he leaned far out, he could not descry the flinger of the pebble. What he did see was a blind on the ground floor open warily, and the wide-awake head of the maid Nicole show itself. After having scrutinized all the windows round, Nicole came out of doors and ran to the espalier, on which some pieces of lace were drying. The stone had rolled on this place, and Gilbert had not lost sight of it. Nicole kicked it when she came to it, and kept on playing football with it till she drove it under the trellis, where she picked it up under cover of taking off the lace. Gilbert noticed that she shucked the stone of a piece of paper, and he concluded that the message was of importance. It was a letter, which the sly wench opened, eagerly perused and put in her pocket without paying any more heed to the lace. Nicole went back into the house, with her hand in her pocket. She returned with a key which she slipped under the garden gate, which would be out in the street beside the carriage doorway. "'Good, I understand,' thought the young man. "'It is a love letter. Nicole is not losing her time in town. She has a lover.' He frowned with the vexation of a man who supposed that his loss had left an irreparable void in the heart of the girl he jilted, and discovered that she had filled it up. "'This bids fair to run counter to my plans,' thought he, trying to give another turn to his ill-humour. "'I shall not be sorry to learn what happy mortal has succeeded me in the good graces of Nicole Gay. But Gilbert had a level mind in some things. He saw that the knowledge of this secret gave him an advantage over the girl, as she could not deny it, while she scarcely suspected his passion for the baron's daughter, and had no clue to give body to her doubts. The night was dark and sultry, stifling with heat as often in early spring. From the clouds it was a black gulf before Gilbert, through which he descended by the rope. He had no fear from his strength of will, so he reached the ground without a flutter. He climbed the garden wall, but as he was about to descend, heard a step beneath him. He clung fast and glanced at the intruder. It was a man in the uniform of a corporal of the French guards. Almost at the same time he saw Nicole open the house back door, spring across the garden, leaving it open, and light and rapid as a shepherdess, dart to the greenhouse, which was also the soldier's destination. As neither showed any hesitation about proceeding to this point, it was likely that this was not the first appointment the pair had kept there. "'No, I can continue my road,' reasoned Gilbert. "'Nicole would not be receiving her sweetheart unless she were sure of some time before her, and I may rely on finding Mademoiselle Andrea alone. Andrea, alone!' No sound in the house was audible, and only a faint light was to be seen— Gilbert skirted the wall and reached the door left open by the maid, 
screened by an immense creeper festooning the doorway he could peer into an ante-room with two doors the open one he believed to be nicole's he groped his way into it for it had no light at the end of a lobby a glazed door with muslin curtains on the other side showed a glimmer on going up this passage he heard a feeble voice it was andreas all gilbert's blood flowed back to the heart end of chapter four recording by john van stan savannah georgia